Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for accepting our invitation for this Bible study and reflection for August 11th, 2023. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, most merciful and gracious provider, please send us not necessarily what we want, but what we need to sustain us. Help us to see that sustenance even in the smallest of your offerings. We ask this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so today we're going to talk about where the sun shines, where the rain falls, and who God smiles on. More specifically, why does God let the sun shine, the rain fall, and his smiles fall on the evil as well as the good? You've heard the sayings before, oh man, I can't catch a break. Why do bad things always happen to me and not somebody else? How come so-and-so is always the lucky one? And on and on. I'm going to read a couple of biblical equivalents of those sayings now. The first coming from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 12, verse 1. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? And the next is from the Psalms, Psalm 73, verses 12 to 14. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. Now I'm sure we've all felt that way before, just as Jeremiah and the psalmist. Now we're going to listen to the words of Jesus as he is wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount. And here he is teaching that we should, yes, even love our enemies of all things. This reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So it would seem that Jesus is saying that God sends provision for the righteous as well as the unrighteous. Hmm, not fair, we might say. Here is what one of my study resources has to say about God's providence. Two key New New Testament passages clarify that God accomplishes his preserving providence over creation, specifically through the eternal Son, the second person of the Godhead. Hebrews 1.3 says, Christ upholds the universe 
by the word of his power. Likewise, Paul tells the Colossians in 117 that not only are all things created through him and for him, but that in Christ all things hold together. Another verse teaching this doctrine can be found in Acts 17.28, in which Paul approvingly quotes some of the Greeks' own poets as saying, In God we live and move and have our being. Humans tend to see providence only in the extraordinary, the unusual, the surprising, the coincidental, the seemingly chance circumstances or events of life. We tend to think of providence as God's stepping in and changing things only when something dramatic happens, either for the better or for the worse. But providence is not only God's stepping into a situation with government and guidance. Providence is, first and foremost, God's faithful maintenance and preservation of all things, or there would be nothing to govern and guide. Understanding providence is crucial because it is a primary means through which God directs and interacts not only with his people, but with the world at large and creation itself. God's usual means of sustaining, guiding, providing, or intervening is not through miracles, but through the providential employment of mostly ordinary secondary means. What's the benefit of our knowing about God's providence? Well, the benefit, if we respond rightly to the doctrine, is that it makes us patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity, so that we may place our firm trust in our Heavenly Father concerning everything that befalls us. So now that we know what providence is, let's be a little more specific and take a look at a story about a well-known character in the Bible. The story is told in a sermon by Edmund Steamley in a book titled, Are You Looking for God and Other Sermons? This particular sermon is titled, The Lord Smiles on You, and this was preached in the winter of 1955. By the way, the story of Jesus meeting Peter can be read in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And here's the story, or sermon, if you will. One of the most fascinating characters to walk the New Testament stage is the brash, fiery, and impetuous apostle, Peter. And not least among his fascinations is the light which his career throws up on the relation between what we call good luck or the breaks in life and God's attitude towards individuals like you and me. This is a thorny problem in our world, likes of which, for all of its brave front, is far more superstitious than it cares to admit. It's a world which assumes that you have to get the breaks if you're going to get very far. The world, which assumes that some people are born under a lucky star, and others apparently are not. A world which assumes that good luck perhaps a dom is perhaps a dominant part in the ultimate outcome of our lives. For those of us who profess our faith in God, this good luck seems to be tied up in some mysterious way 
with the eternal providence of God. If God smiles on you, you are probably going to conclude that there will be an upturn in your fortunes or luck. And if he doesn't, well, things are to get pretty grim. So let's take a look at a case history of the man called Peter, because his career began with a tremendous stroke of good fortune and ended, so tradition has it, on a cross. And oddly enough, it was all tied up with the fact of God smiling on him. Not just a good fortune at the beginning of his career, but the tragic end of it as well. Peter was cleaning up his fishing gear on the beach, and Jesus came by. At first, Jesus asked if he, he could use Peter's boat as a pulpit. Later, he told Peter to push off and cast his nets again. Peter thought it was a silly idea, since his fishing luck that night had been particularly poor. But he decided to give it a try anyway. And what happened, you remember, was a fisherman's dream come true. Not just one boat loaded with fish, but two so full that both boats almost sank. It doesn't take a great imagination to picture the headlines the next day in the Galilean Herald Tribune. Local fisherman hits jackpot. I'm sure you can imagine our friends congratulating us with words as, man, you certainly deserved it. You must be living right. And all the other cliches appropriate to such occasions. Now, by way of contrast, let us flash back to the general reaction to Peter's great luck. I'm hitting the jackpot on the Lake of Galilee. They're kneeling down. Peter's kneeling down in a mess of fish. It's Peter, all written over his face, crying, depart from me, for I am a simple man, O Lord. His companions are not slapping him on the back or congratulating him on his good fortune or telling him that he must have lived right because they too are awestruck. This is the end of Act 1 on the New Testament stage. Act 2 follows immediately with a surprising turn of events. So far as we can discover, Peter never did cash in on his good fortune. Immediately, they began following Jesus, a man they had only known for a few hours, Peter, James, and John. So that's the end of Act 2. Act 3 opens a number of years later with Peter, an old man now, bending over a letter he is writing to some of these men that the big fishermen had caught through the years. The times were rough. The movement they had started years ago back there on the shore of Galilee spread so far and so fast that the government was taking violent measures to stamp it out. Persecution, torture, and death was around every corner for those who followed Jesus. Not long after, the curtain falls with the salty old character known as Peter crucified, head down. He had followed Jesus. To the death. So what happens when the Lord smiles on you? This is certainly not the way we write such stories in life today. We are inclined to follow the theory that if the Lord smiles on you, 
then good luck will follow you all the days of your life. A good life is supposed to get the brakes and easy and prosperous life, free from unusual trouble, hardship, or suffering. Even those who are to know better think of God in childish terms. Those who have been exposed at least to the cross, which certainly indicates that the good life may very well find that going rough. The Lord, like the little kitten in the nursery rhyme, will love me because I'm good. And the Lord does love me, so the theory runs, and does send a bit of good luck my way once in a while. And it's really no more than I deserve. If we do have a stroke of good luck, is the normal reaction, well, it's about time. I've never yet run across anyone did not who did not ha- who did have a good bit of luck was eager to point out all the hard luck he'd had before and that it was about time the breaks began to come his way. When God smiles on you, then it may mean good fortune or good luck as it did here for Peter in terms of wealth and as it did for members of the others in the New Testament in terms of health. But if you recognize this good fortune as coming at the hand of God, it will send you to your knees with the cry, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The fact that God smiles on you doesn't necessarily bring good luck as we normally think of it. It actually brought a martyr's death to all but one of the twelve whom he first smiled on back there in Galilee. So whatever it is that may be haunting you in your life now, illness or threat of it, worry or loneliness or something that isn't working out quite the way you hoped it would or whatever it is that we want to gather under the label of bad luck, none of it is necessary evidence that God has not and is not smiling on you. What then does it mean when the Lord smiles on you? Well, this much is certain. He has a job for you to do, and he calls you to enter with him into the greatest adventure life has to offer, to create with him a new life and a new world. Here and there, the odd corners of life you will run across, as I have, these radiant souls who have found happiness, not by looking for it and not riding on the tail of good luck, but simply by opening their eyes to see God's smile upon them, knowing that he has called them to do a job where they are. By knowing that you have become a part of God's creative and redemptive purpose in our world, then you, like Peter, won't care very much whether your portion of luck is good or bad. You'll be too busy. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for smiling on us and inviting us to work with you in your kingdom, where your Son reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord.